0: I want to change change the picture change the picture. Welcome to Behind the Music. These three special shows explore the arts versus oppression section in the Human Rights Watch Film Festival, currently taking place in London.
1: Little bit by bit, you're playing your part, you're playing our part. So when you put all these efforts together, okay. I can't give up hope.
0: Each special looks at how music can be a major force for human rights and social change. In this show, Karen looks at the dream of Shahrazad. Welcome to SOAS Radio, Behind the Music. That was Rimsky-Korsakov's Scheherazade to start us off on our Behind the Music special, looking at the films that look at music and change as part of the Human Rights Watch Film Festival. And I'm lucky enough to have François Verster here from South Africa, the director of the film, The Dreams of Scheherazade which is playing as part of the Human Rights Watch Film Festival Welcome to South Radio, Francois
1: Thank you very much
0: Francois has been making beautiful, powerful, poetic documentaries for many years, and I've been a big fan of his since I first came across his work over 15 years ago. Francois has won many awards for his films, including an Emmy for The Lion's Trail, uh, a music documentary which traces the journey of the South African classic, The Lion Sleeps Tonight, which is a great film. He's in London for the UK premiere of The Dream of Scheherazade, And uh, we're really happy that he found time to come and talk to Behind the Music. The film The Dream of Scheherazade uses Rimsky-Korsakov's iconic piece Scheherazade as a way to explore a whole host of ideas around music and storytelling, political upheaval, identity and voice. It's an unusual choice of music for a South African filmmaker Francois. How did it come about?
1: Well, uh, to take things a little bit further back in history, I grew up listening to classical music within South Africa, um, and also playing classical music, as did a lot of uh, middle-class white kids. And in a context such as South Africa, there were a lot of, or a relatively large amount of money was given to um, developing and promoting classical music, particularly because. In a sense, I think the National Party government perceived it as a form which set white South Africans aside from black South Africans. It was very much kind of seen as a European high art form. And then obviously when things changed between 1990 and 94, one of the first things was that happened was that little funding for most of the symphony orchestras was cut, which is completely understandable because it's music that was not at the time necessarily being listened to by the majority or it was perceived as not being listened to by the majority of South Africa's population. So in a sense, for me as a South African, but I think more broadly as well, um, classical music is a kind of a guilty pleasure. It's something which I feel the performance of it has a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of, complex political questions to be asked about that, particularly in a place like South Africa. And yet, it's also the musical form in which I have and continue to have my deepest experiences or musical experiences or emotional experiences. And so in a sense, I was thinking about what would happen if you take a piece from the classical canon such as rimsky korsakovs sherazade uh, which is supposed to be a safe bourgeois piece for a kind of bourgeois audience and try to give it a contemporary political application or at least put it sort of in that kind of context and see what happens.
0: And what happens is you take us on quite a complex and layered journey that uses the movements of the Rimsky-Korsakov piece to lead us through the chapters or books of your film. As a musician, Francois, you always seem to make great use of music in your films. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach music in your work?
1: So in my previous films, um, I'd been using music a lot more explicitly or a lot more as a kind of a guiding principle even. I mean, I think a lot of the use of music in film is often quite bad. and Generally, people have the idea that music tells you how to feel or music is given as a kind of a lens through which to view certain you know events on camera um, and I think for me that's the kind of most or the weakest and the least interesting way of using music. Um, I like to think of music as being an element that's equal to the image or to the sound that you've, you've captured on film so that it interacts. So the idea being that you put music and an image together and you get a third meaning. So for example when I edit I try you know, I just try out lots of different types of music. I throw it into a scene and see what happens. And often the results are really, really interesting because you feel and see things and understand things in ways that you didn't expect. So I really believe in music as being one part of the montage, if you believe in Eisenstein, if you, the montage process, which gives a kind of a third meaning. so. What I'd been thinking about is like looking at ways of using music more explicitly. And I thought, you know, what, as I said, what would happen then if you built a political documentary based on a piece of music?
0: Yes, music is really center stage in this film. You picked a piece that's really quite topical for the time as well. What made you choose this piece in particular?
1: Um, We started thinking about this film in 2006 already um, and at the time a lot of people quite close to me were in a sense directly or indirectly experiencing a lot of the Islamophobia that happened after 9-11 and which I think is still current and being reinforced by a lot of things happening. and it started to, you know, I started thinking about, you know, this conflation of Islamophobia with, you know, the Middle East and with the Arab, so called Arab world. And I started wondering where did my own understanding or my own first um, kind of exposure to this imagined world come from and I realized that it actually came from the thousand one nights you know the stories of Sinbad and Alibaba and so and you know kind of Aladdin and so on and it seemed to me then what would you know in a sense you can draw a line stretching from the thousand one nights through to contemporary you know maybe via Edward Said's Orientalism through to, you know, contemporary visions of, um, you know, the Middle East as a source of terrorism and so on. And I thought, you know, what if you kind of use a piece of music, which, um, you know, in a sense is a musical rendition or musical uh, reflection of some of the tales from The Thousand One Nights and put it in a kind of hard political context. So
0: Wow, so this film's been 10 years in the making. That's been quite a decade for the Arab world, huh? Did your ideas change as time went on, or have you managed to stick to the original plan?
1: Originally, the film was going to follow a Iranian conductor, um, you know, going back to Tehran or you know, Persia, which was the birthplace of the knights. You know, it was Baghdad, but at that point, obviously, it was the Persian Empire, and you know. In a sense, taking what seemed to me to be the kind of musical equivalent of a Delacroix painting or a Flaubert story, you know, this very exoticized image of the Middle East, back to its roots and seeing how it was received and how that then reflected on images of the region and then how that may be reflected back on the West as well. That didn't work out for various reasons. And the film in a very organic manner then shifted both to Turkey, where I met up with conductor Jim Mansour, um, and also to Egypt, where I met a whole lot of storytellers. So to cut a long story short, Remsi Korsakov's Sherazade Suite was very much the kind of guiding impetus for making this film. I really wanted to try out um, the possibility of using alternative structural um, principles for a documentary.
0: Yes, especially in this quite undeveloped form of music documentary. it suits your quite experimental approach to structure too.
1: I mean, I think there's a uh, problem in documentary form in general, or at least in television documentary or in easily funded documentary in that, Commissioning editors very much demand character narratives. They demand forms that have clearly defined um, thematic, you know, which is what a documentary does. You are supposed to kind of give order out of chaos. But I think what we have now is a kind of a tyranny of narrative and a tyranny of subject and it seemed to me that by using a piece of music which offers different structural principles maybe you could break away from that so the form consciously tries to use a musical form as well as the form of the thousand and one nights which is you know, a whole lot of interlocking stories to try to get away from this kind of you know predominance of a character single character narrative.
0: And strangely, we've sort of got like our, our main character is Scheherazade herself in some ways, or or at least the idea of her, someone using stories to to change something, stories to bring about a shift in her master's thinking, but also to keep herself alive, which I thought had a lovely resonance with the whole idea of the Arab Spring mm. and the and the response of artists. So, as this piece is so fundamental to this film. There might be some who aren't so familiar with it. Let's listen to how it opens. That might jog people's memories. It already sounds like film music. Did that inform what you decided to film?
1: Yeah, I guess but one of the interesting journeys for me was, uh, while well, making this film, was to move away from the idea of the Sherazade Suite as a musical odalisque. mean, um, obviously it's a very dreamy, very imaginative piece, and it's easy to link fantasy to Orientalism. But I think what, a lot of um, critics, or academic critics, um, or intellectual critics, do is to conflate um, fantasy with the exotic, and or at least to ex- conflate um, the exotic with something uh, political problematic. And one of the I guess experiences or things that I found with the form is that fantasy can be used in a politically very progressive manner, and I think that has very direct sort of relationship to the way music is used as well. So to be concrete. Um what really struck me was when I went to Egypt everybody thought the Rims Suite was actually a piece of Egyptian music. I mean probably partly because it had been used in so many television series based on the Thousand and One Nights and so on and so on but I mean people would never think that this is a, I mean within Egypt people wouldn't think this is a kind of an orientalizing piece now you know you could come in and say oh well everybody says that are kind of self orientalizing but it's not my position as a person from another country to say that and I think because music is so fluid it can assume different political meanings at different times and in a kind of especially in a globalized world I think a lot of the dynamics of how society is positioned through music is a lot more complex than it was
0: Yes, the Turkish conductor seems to sum that up really well in the film I've got a quote here where he says um, expressing your identity through music teaches you that you don't have to choose between various identities so he's talking about the fact that you can be both western and oriental at the same time.
1: Um, So in what you have in the film is that um, Jim Mansur takes a group of Turkish students um, through a rehearsal process where they practice, you know, can rehearse and try to perfect Rimsikorskov-Sherazade's suite for a performance in Istanbul. Uh, But in the process, he also tries to look at the values of Sherizade in the sense of her being a kind of a creative person, a storyteller um, who tells stories to survive, to make her world a better place, to save the lives of other women. And then he traces it back to the role of musicians in Turkey. So we formed a lot of him you know, running workshops on how music, how music can improve people's lives, how music can have a social function, and then also how the orchestra, for him at least, functions as a model of, 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 a, of a perfect democracy where people, all the parts come together and the, you have the people speaking softly and the people speaking loudly and they don't drown each other out and so on and so on. Um, so, you know, that fitted very nicely for me with the idea of sherazad as being this creative person who saves who saves. Lives to creativity.
0: Yeah, and that also ties in really well with the work of Al Washa in Egypt.
1: And then in Egypt, um, you know, we look more at storytelling, but then storytelling there is so closely linked to music that, you know, music then inevitably became part of the farm as well. And, um, you know, what was interesting for me again is that, um, you know, the idea of protest songs are not uh, outcomes based, they interact with society, they are um, songs that sort of Feed back into society. They don't lead to concrete aims, and then they're done. There's a very kind of organic interaction between both singing and storytelling, and ordinary life and politics. So, so in the form, you know, we use the metaphor of Shahrazad again. You know, she's a storyteller. She's a person who tells stories or sings songs to make the world a better place. And then, when the Arab Spring happened, it seemed very clear to me that. And, you know, people were working with the Charizard in a sense became a metaphor, as you said, for the Egyptian people finding their voice. But then as things happened, kept on happening and the political situation got more complex, it soon became clear that it was not that simple. So sometimes the people would be shahrazad but sometimes they would be the sultan the mad sultan doing the wrong thing as well so in the film the whole easy association of shahrazad with the people also becomes more complex and, and you know kind of what i found was that the value of fable perhaps is that it shows you that you have both those things in you and there's like in a kind of a dialectic with each other rather than as a kind of we are this or that and i think this is one of the things which the, the recent history in the region then showed as well and
0: it's 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 beautifully played in in the film. We, we, the audience, are left to work these things out for ourselves. You're not giving us a, a clear sense of what's right and what's wrong, who's good and who's bad. The complexities are, and the layers, are, are very present throughout the film, which is lovely.
1: You see, obviously seem to be the ideal viewer. I think it can also <laughs> lead to confusion. <laughs> well, let's listen to,
0: to one of the songs. I think uh, that also ties in really well with the work of Al-Washa in Egypt who are working on issues around creativity and change. And there was a, a beautiful song that was sung early on in the, in the film. Would you mind introducing that for us?
1: Well, um, one of the members of the Owasa Theatre Troupe, which is a fairly loosely lit group of uh, performers, um, storytellers, um, as well as singers. I mean, the form of presentation is mostly a kind of a free-form cabaret where you know, they can get a group of people, you know, between 8 and 20 people together on stage and then they'll sing songs. Some of them will tell stories, some of them will sing individual songs or they'll do songs as a group. And one of the people that is sometimes part of our sometimes not is a young woman called Maryam Saleh. Um, she's become a bit of a rock star now. She's suddenly hit it big, but, you know, what started happening around the time when we made the film. And I just happened to be at Awasha, and, you know, she picked up a guitar and just started singing this very simple but incredibly beautiful, incredibly painful song, which is called Tu El Tari. Um, and it basically tells about, you know, it's a very poetic song speaking about the pain of Egypt.
0: My beloved,
1: the Ready?
0: So that was Miriam Saleh singing Túl el Tereh and I thought I'd uh, give you a bit of the English translation although uh, it sounds a bit melodramatic in English. My country I consume your fine dust, all along the way I drink your dust on an empty stomach. The day my thirst was quenched there was poison in the jars. So Egyptian melodrama.
1: Well, I guess for me, I suppose it, um, Arabic is maybe a little bit like Spanish, where things don't quite translate to the same resonance, you in know, into English is what they have have locally. So, I mean, this song is it's a kind of a general song about her personal pain and about you know the pain of Egypt, but also then in context feeds into it has a political dimension in that it's the kind of song people would make up in you know kind of in the lead up to the revolution as well. So there's a kind of a yeah, there's a kind of an organic interaction, as it were. I think.
0: Yeah. So that song is is very poetic, and the language takes us on our own journey. But so, so what about music that works for protest? There were a few songs that were doing that, but n- n- not so present in your film?
1: Well, I guess um, if the form isn't particularly low, looking at. Protest songs. I suppose it's looking more at the the interaction between uh, music and politics and society and looking at how maybe those um, interactions are not quite as um, outcomes driven or, you know, kind of work in more and more kind of subtle ways. But obviously, during the revolution in the city you know, on Tahrir Square and elsewhere, people were singing songs and there's a lot of music going on on Tahrir Square. And I think, you know, again, um, I mean, I'm not an expert on this, but as I, as I as I understood it, you know, music very much fulfilled all the um, usual uh, functions of protest music. It was a way of binding people together. It was a way of having fun. It's a way of people giving voice. It's a way of, of you know creating solidarity and companionship. It's a way of just kind of building moral strength. It's a way of probably you know kind of having access to um, poetic or artistic truths, which um, you know kind of in a sense transcend hardship or transcend the kind of political situation you're in so you know all those kind of very positive effects that i think you know you had in south africa for example where you know uh, protest music was very much a conscious way of of building people's strengths i mean i think it had all those functions as well
0: yeah and i think that in the early part of your film you there's a lot of people talking about the power of music Mm -hmm. and story and creativity in general to to heal mm. as well, to heal, and it's uh, a way of using your imagination to help you cope with, mm. with mm. Um, the reality around you. Yeah. And I think that brings us to a performance, again in the film, by Elwasa, um, the theatre group, which is a more... More political. Song. No,
1: that's actually a, a old song. It's a, I think it's a fifteenth or sixteenth century song. It's from the a very 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 long piece um, which apparently has something like a million verses. I'm not sure if that's correct, but something like that, something crazy. Called the Epic of Beny Elal, um, and it's a couple of quatrains taken from the epic, which has recently become popular again. Um, I just found this incredibly moving, uh, beautiful piece which it's in part it speaks about or the specific part speaks about how god created both christians and muslims and so in that sense it has a kind of a political message of bringing people together but just in terms of the um I don't know if serenity is the right word but the kind of healing quality of it um you know and also because they sang it in the form um at its you know at a performance where uh, mother had lost her child and they were basically doing performance around this loss and it had a very in context extremely powerful healing and incredibly beautiful effect so the song is very very poignant in context
0: So in um, true behind the music style we'll leave you with a track and we'll leave you with that song from the epic of Ben Hillel which ends Francois' film The Dream of Scheherazade the last screening of this film can be caught at the Barbican on Thursday at 6.30. Look for all the details on this
1: website.